Chinese students have been studying in the United States for a really long time. In 1854, a man from Guangdong named Yong Wing became the first Chinese student to graduate from a North American university. After graduating from Yale, he then went on to found the Chinese educational mission in 1872 that was an attempt by more reform-minded elements of the Qing dynasty to send Chinese students to the United States. While the project ultimately collapsed less than 10 years after it was started, some of the students who took part in that program, living in homestays in New England and learning to play baseball, later returned to China to influential positions. One became the Chinese ambassador to the United States in the early 1900s, Another went on to become known as the father of China's railroad, and one even briefly served as the premier of the Republic of China in 1912. While this ill-fated program is separated from today by a century and a half, it offers some through lines to the present. We'll be looking at some of those today. From the US China Business Council in Washington, DC, this is the China Business Review Podcast. Today's episode, Chinese students in the United States. Part of the reason that the mission was canceled was that the United States wouldn't allow the boys to study at West Point or the Naval Academy in Annapolis. Today, concerns over military access in the American educational system play a similar role. There seems to be one of these stories a week with researchers or professors tied to our universities that are Chinese nationals or students that are uh, taking our, our technology and sending it to China. How do we stop this? Mary, we're working hard at it. Uh, I regret only that for decades we've allowed this to go on. Uh, no administration has taken this seriously until these last couple years when President Trump began to demand uh, that we get this right. In 2018, the State Department limited visas to only a single year for Chinese students studying in fields that were deemed sensitive, like robotics or high-tech manufacturing. Earlier this year, the Trump administration said it would take action to expel Chinese graduate students with ties to Chinese military schools. The FBI is undertaking a campaign to root out scientists who they claim are stealing research from U.S. institutions, and a report from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute warned that China was sending students to Western universities in order to bolster its own military technology. While intellectual property rights are important to protect, those campaigns have been accused by some of being racist and their targeting, painting an entire cohort of students as a threat, despite the lack of evidence to support some of those claims. And actions like visa restrictions and increased bilateral tensions between the United States and China have created an atmosphere where some Chinese students feel less welcome. I think 2016 presidential election definitely changed my mind a lot. Over the years, I've seen changes in the greater society and all the policy, all the restrictions between two countries make me think of like leaving the States. That's Jocelyn Yang. She's one of a few Chinese students I spoke to about their experiences studying here in the U.S. For her, she considered studying elsewhere rather than the United States when she was thinking about where she wanted to go. When I applied to colleges, I, you know, my family and I had a lot of talks about, you know, where to go. And lots of family and friends persuaded me to go to Canada. Though for her, as a media major, she was somewhat insulated from the most scrutiny and criticism. Um, not because of the major, I mean, I don't think the media major, the journalism major, like, you know, have a big impact for me, like as an individual, like as a student, mm-hmm. but just in general, general atmosphere, um, it's become, you know, unfriendly and more, and more aggressive towards Chinese students. 
While I was finding Chinese students here in the States to talk to, I came across exactly what Jocelyn was talking about, though. I had one student, for example, who told me that he wasn't comfortable speaking with me on the record and had initially agreed to speak on background, but he later told me he was worried to speak at all because he was afraid of reprisals, and that action really spoke volumes. So if students are feeling this way, what does it mean for U.S. universities? International students coming to the United States to study represents a sizable services export that's key to the stability of many universities' bottom lines. And beyond being a services export, international students who come to the U.S. to study absorb the experience and carry that with them when they return home. So where do you start to define the importance of Chinese students in the U.S.? Well, let's start uh, by just acknowledging the numerical importance. Uh, there are about a million international students on U.S. campuses, and students from China represent about a third of those. Uh, in other words, there are about 370,000 uh, mm. Chinese students in the United States as of last year, out of approximately a million international students. So they're a very large percentage of the population. That is Peggy Blumenthal. She's currently the senior counselor to the president at the Institute of International Education. But on top of a 30-year career at IIE, she has a long resume of experience in this field. She previously worked with Stanford's Overseas Studies and Graduate Services for the University of Hawaii's Center for Asian and Pacific Studies. Before that, she worked on the development of U.S.-China exchanges with the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. So we figured she'd be a pretty good person to talk to you about the role that Chinese students hold here in the American educational system. Uh, they also represent an important um, share of both undergraduates and graduate students. Uh, in the early days of U.S.-China exchanges, they heavily were coming at the graduate level and heavily in the um, science and technology fields. Now it's much more diverse. Uh, about equal numbers of undergraduates and graduates are here from China, actually a, a slightly more undergraduates than graduates, uh, and in really in all fields, uh, many of them in business, many of them in uh, social sciences, still a, a large number in engineering and scientific fields. But as a result, they, um, for most campuses in the United States, uh, the largest sector of their international student population will be from China. And this has important implications also for American students. You asked sort of what their importance is. Their importance financially is that they contribute about $15 billion to the U.S. economy. That's including not just tuition and, and housing and things that happen on campus, but the whole range of, of things that they purchase when they're in the United States and they travel to and from the United States and so on. So there's the obvious economic value of these students coming here, spending money on everything from their tuition to books to housing and food. $15 billion is not small change. So that part is obvious. But these students also play a kind of ambassadorial role. Pedagogically, they're also quite important because most U.S. students will never get a chance to study in China. And yet their careers most likely will intersect with China's in some way, either as a uh, customers or sellers or colleagues or uh, in some way their career is going to be affected by China. So having the opportunity to participate in classes with Chinese students to get their perspective on, on the fields of the major fields of study in which they're both engaged, to have them as dorm mates or research lab partners or teammates, it makes a huge difference in terms of their ability to effectively interact with Chinese when they are graduate, graduated and professionals. Chinese students, their importance when they graduate is also worth talking about. If they go home, which many, many of them do, they become kind of a 
bridge. Uh, not all of them love their experience in the United States, but certainly they understand better the United States. And many of them did love their experience and become kind of um, informal ambassadors. Many of them also stay here. And that is great for US innovation and for US job creation because it's been documented that uh, international students very uh, significantly contribute to um, new businesses, to, to uh, new patents, uh, innovation in general. Uh, and then some of them go to a third country, um, you know, neither stay at home, neither stay here nor go home. Um, but everywhere they go, they go with a really a deep understanding of American uh, business values, American cultural values, American academic standards. And um, so I think they've had a very profound effect once wherever they've landed uh, in terms of if they've gone into academia, they, they bring the American perspective. If they go into business or if they go into government, in, in every way, I believe we benefit from having had the opportunity to educate them at a crucial point in their career. Sounds familiar, no? Recall our friends from the 1870s who studied on the East Coast and returned home to be premiers, ambassadors, and engineers, among other things. Anyways, to return to the current day, the number of Chinese students enrolling in future semesters has started to slow down recently. It's hard to disentangle the various reasons for this, but that doesn't preclude giving it a shot. The number of Chinese coming to the United States uh, grew very dramatically in the uh, 208, 209, 210, that era. Um, mm -hmm. It started slowing down, however, even before any of the travel restrictions or, or um, rhetoric issues came to the fore. And partly it slowed down, it slowed down for a number of reasons. And I want to talk about those first, and then we'll go into the specific things that have happened more recently. Chinese students and international students in general uh, have begun to, new enrollments have begun to slow down for a number of reasons. One is international competition. Uh, other countries, including Canada, Australia, the UK, uh, New Zealand, Germany, very eager to have international students and particularly to have students from China because students from China tend to be full uh, fee-paying students, which is an important element in the balancing the education budget, uh, not just in the United States, but in many other countries. Um, so that's one thing, the slowing because of international competition. Uh, slowing in the case of China and of many other countries because the home country capacity for hi uh, higher education um, expands. China, India, many of the big sending countries have also dramatically tried to expand their capacity to educate their undergraduate and graduate students at home. Uh, South Korea, for example, used to send almost all its graduate students here and now has a, a substantial uh, home country capacity thanks to many people who were trained in, in US graduate schools and then went home. And the same can be said about China. Many of the faculty members in Chinese graduate programs were trained in the United States. So there's this inevitable increase in domestic capacity to provide the American style education, if you will. Financial issues, you know, US higher education gets more and more expensive. Um, many countries' economies have, you know, if, if there's a change in the, in the um, uh, balance of, uh, I mean, if the, if the value of the dollar compared to the local currency, you'll see a drop. In India, we saw a very substantial drop when the rupee was weak and then stronger uh, growth when the rupee was stronger. Here, I will pop in to validate that fact. It's something that a lot of American students don't consider because it isn't something that we ever have to deal with. When you're paying for your education in U.S. dollars, the bill is eye-watering enough. But when you add the fluctuation of international currency values into that equation, things for international students can get even harder to bear. 
Jocelyn, the student you heard from earlier, she echoed those sentiments. When the exchange rate of um, RMB, the um, Chinese yuan dollar, um, against U.S. dollars, the exchange rate has going up, and I think that caused lots of financial burdens mm -hmm. to you know many families. Then we get down to the visa delays and the political issues. And certainly for China, those have become an issue. There have been Chinese perception, parents at the undergraduate level, certainly parents become a more important factor and parents are concerned uh, whether their, their children will be um, uh, at risk, both for not just a sort of an anti-Chinese rhetoric, but uh, you know, they read about shootings, they read about demonstrations, they read about safety concerns, and they get nervous about sending their young person abroad. So you see a lot of interest in keeping their uh, child home or sending them to a place closer uh, like Australia rather than to the United States. Um, and then also I would say um, one thing that's affected the numbers of Chinese in the United States is many campuses have become concerned that they have too many Chinese, that they're too reliant on one country's population. And they purposely started to diversify. And some have even set informal caps on, you know, what percentage of their international students should be Chinese, as opposed to starting maybe to recruit more aggressively in the Middle East, in Latin America, in Africa, um, in Southeast Asia. Uh, so they really, um, so it's, it's both supply and demand issues, I think, that have affected the Chinese students. While not all U.S. schools have large contingents of Chinese students, for some, they make up a key block of funding. New York University, for example, has around 3,000 undergraduate students from China. In an interview with the South China Morning Post, a school official described it thus, quote, NYU is home to the largest number of international students, so this outbreak does put us in an interesting position, end quote. Interesting is perhaps the most positive way to put it. A July report from the National Foundation for American Policy estimated that enrollment numbers of new international students in U.S. universities could drop by somewhere between 63 and 98 percent from their numbers in the 2018-2019 academic year. Though those numbers represent impact from COVID-19, not necessarily from bilateral tensions. The number of Chinese students has not been increasing. I mean, they basically has leveled off. Um, so I would think it would be unlikely that there's going to be a surge next year. Well, first of all, this year, this coming fall, there clearly won't be a surge because of the um, various travel issues, but bans on both sides. I'm, I'm guessing there won't be a surge again for quite some time. But, you know, if there's a change in our political rhetoric, our political leadership, if there's more ratcheting down of the rhetoric. So I think a lot will depend on what's happening in China and a lot will depend uh, on the economy, both in China and the United States. We, with the declining number of domestic students in the United States, I mean, the, the age cohort shrinking, we are still going to continue to very actively want international students and including fee-paying students from China. So I think when it's possible to start recruiting again, schools are going to do that. Peggy Blumenthal doesn't really think that the political tensions between the U.S. and China will have a direct, immediate impact on academic exchange between the two countries. I think that bilateral up and downs in the political and diplomatic sphere do not usually affect academic exchanges. Academic exchanges from 1979, when they started again with China, they pretty much, um, international um, educational exchange pretty much was constant, even though there were ups and downs in the relationship. Right now, we're in a particularly um, difficult 
uh, patch because I think that a, a lot of the diplomatic steps that are being taken uh, are using tools, including uh, visa tools and, and other kinds of tools that will, will affect the exchange numbers. But I do think they can have, they do have an impact, uh, particularly because students go home and the kinds of students who come to the United States from China tend to go back into important positions, either in uh, business or government or um, academia. Uh, and I'm not saying they're all children of, of you know, the, the leadership. I mean, but even if they're, if they, many, many students come whose parents were teachers or, or professors and they go back into careers in that field. And so they gradually do affect the way um, universities teach. And, in, and Americans who come back from China go in, similarly go into careers where their understanding of China will help shape how they, uh, their company or their uh, university or their position in government, how the view of China that they've gotten, the more realistic view of China that they've gotten will help even out the relationship. I mean, it can't stop, if somebody's determined to break relations, they can't stop that. But over time, I do think it, it has a, um, a smoothing out effect and a st stabilizing effect. So the long and short of this is that Chinese students in the U.S. are overall a benefit for both countries. They foster ties at the grassroots level as students go home and start their careers, or students stay here and they contribute to innovation and growth that helps power the American economy. And while they're here, they help fund U.S. universities through the tuition they pay and all the other money they spend around town. It's all a services export. So although visa restrictions, COVID-19, and bilateral political tensions have put a damper on Chinese student numbers, hopefully things can stabilize soon enough and those students can go back to helping slowly improve the relationship bit by bit. The China Business Review podcast is a production of the U.S.-China Business Council, and you can always learn more about our work on our website, uschina.org. The China Business Review podcast is also an audio companion to the digital magazine of the same name. And you can always read more articles about the U.S.-China relationship and other economic and business issues at chinabusinessreview.com. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon.